Okay, g'day everyone. Uh, here today we've got Scott Copeland, Chief Pilot from Jim's Drones and uh, Franchisor and Divisional. He's here today to um, just fill us in a little bit about his story and his journey to Jim's. And it's um, a pretty incredible story. I met Scott probably um, for the first time about three to four months ago and his enthusiasm for the Jim's group and drones is just fantastic and he's got a great story to tell. So Scott, welcome. Yeah, g'day, Paul. Good morning, everyone. Morning. Um, so, yeah, like I said, you've got a great story to tell. So, um, I reckon we're just going to jump straight into it. Yeah, um, right. That's well, so, I mean, could you just just tell us a little bit about yourself? What's your backstory? Where have you come from? Um, you know, where, what, what's your work history prior to gyms and all of that sort of stuff? Yeah, sure. Well, I'm a, a South Australian, born and bred. Uh, started off in Elizabeth. Uh, Lyle McEwen Hospital, uh, right when Holden's was all the rage. Um, parents, uh, my father's a police officer um, and my mother was an accountant. So um, as a police officer, we moved around. Um, we moved from Elizabeth up to Port Augusta when I was about two and we lived up north in Port Augusta for quite a few years. Um, and then in the late 80s, my dad was posted back to Adelaide and I moved to Gawler and, and that's where I, I uh, resided and uh, did my schooling in Gawler and, up, and finished my high school up in the Barossa Valley, which was a really nice uh, a nice time for me, uh, learning a lot about, uh, that's where I sort of started my love for grapes and, and vineyards. Um, in year 12, our major project in biology was uh, going through the whole process of uh, growing grapes to creating our own wine. Um, and I think that's a, that's a part of the curriculum that they do in the Barossa and um, a lot of families are Barossa families who own vineyards or who have been part of vineyards. Um, so after high school, um, I felt uh, I really, I'm part of a military family. My family's always been sort of military or services and my brother had joined the army a couple of years earlier um, and I thought, uh, I thought I could join the Air Force because um, mm -hmm. I've always had a real admiration for the services and uh, I thought I'd, I could join the Air Force and get myself a trade and um, and after that then sort of look look around and see what I wanted to do. But uh, So out of high school, I joined the Air Force, uh, had an absolutely uh, amazing time. Um, first, I guess my parents were were not, they, they wanted, were happy for me to, to join a service um, and they felt that the military at the time Things had been quite quiet on the military front. Um, there hadn't been any real conflicts. Um, you know, there was Desert Storm 91, but for, for, for all intensive purposes, things were pretty peaceful. Um, as soon as I joined, that seemed to have changed. So within 18 months, I was, I was in East Timor, gun in hand, um, uh, in East Timor within, uh, within 18 months and on operations. And, and that was really from, from 1999 things. Uh, Globally, really started to pick up in in uh, in our efforts. Uh, obviously, after uh, after East Timor, we had the Bali bombings and terrorism started really showing its face. So, um, and then obviously 9/11 happened, and uh, before I knew it, I was living in uh, in a U.S. military base north of Afghanistan, um, operating uh, as part of an Australian detachment air-to-air -air refuelling uh, coalition jets. Mm -hmm. uh, so I did a, a, a tour of 
of duty there. And, and then uh, as as time went on, I, I really wanted to become air crew. Um, I felt that was the place to be. If you're in the Air Force, flying planes is where you want to be. So I, uh, I put all my efforts into that and was successful in becoming air crew. And, and um, I became a loadmaster on C-130s. Okay, can uh, I just stop you there for a second? When, when you're saying air crew, what's, what's um, to us uh, non-military, non-aviation okay. type, what, what's, what's air right. crew? <laughs> right, so, so air crew consists of, of men and women who operate aircraft. So pilots, um, flight engineers, navigators, loadmasters, crew attendants. So anyone whose job is actually operating the aircraft, mm -hmm. so they're considered an air crew. Um, okay. So, so on a C-130, um, on a C-130J, which was the aircraft I was initially on, um, you had two pilots and a loadmaster. So the pilots did all the pushing and pulling up the front mm -hmm. and then the loadmaster operates all the systems down the back and, and is supervises all the loading, unloading and, and all those sorts of things. Um, so uh, as a loadmaster, I deployed to um, the Middle East on six separate tours. Um, and basically that was involved uh, doing aeromedical evacuations, um, repatriations, unfortunately, and was involved in a few of those. Um, also um, had the opportunity to fly VIPs around and, and special guests who were there for, to support the troops, such as I spent a week living with Hamish and Andy, which was really exciting, good fun and, and very funny, funny guys. Mm -hmm. um, Got to meet a few people like that. I've, I've been lucky enough to meet a few presidents and I've met the President of the United States uh, when it was Bill Clinton. Mm -hmm. um, I've, got, I've had a wave from Obama once. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, got to meet Donald Rumsfeld and, uh, and I, I was personally thanked by uh, the Indonesian president when um, we were there supporting the tsunami in in uh, 2005, event, the Boxing Day tsunami. So um, I was personally thanked by him as he came on the aircraft and, and uh, thanked everyone else for helping Indonesia in the time of need. Mm -hmm. um, so um, as part of, air, as a loadmaster, I, um, I operated on C-130s and did eight years of operating um, on C-130s. And then uh, after that, as, as you become aircrew, you do a first, a first flying tour. Um, and then you have to go and do a ground job um, to consolidate all of the uh, all of the uh, experience that you've gained in your first flying tour. And, and um, for my role in my fly, in my ground job, um, I was the subject matter expert for a unit called Headquarters First Joint Movements Group, and mm -hmm. they're responsible for moving airmen and uh, moving uh, ADF personnel and cargo to and from any operations and exercises that Australia is involved in. So I basically went into that ground job for a, a couple of years. And while I was there, I, I felt as though it was, um, I had an opportunity to push myself further. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I'd, I'd reached, I'd gone through all of the ranks in the airman category. I hadn't, I couldn't go any higher. Um, so I felt it was time to push myself and I was successful in gaining admission into the airman access to the academy scheme, which is a scheme um, promoted for airmen to become officers, commissioned officers. Um, and I was, I was successful in becoming a commissioned officer as an intelligence officer. So I became an intelligence officer uh, and went through my training uh, 
unfortunately, I, I did suffer some as a loadmaster. It's quite um, physical work. And uh, I suffered a couple of injuries, which over time got worse. And um, I also suffered a bit of post-traumatic stress from, from my dealings with, um, with the Middle East. And, and um, I needed to get those things sorted out. So I was offered a medical discharge, um, which I accepted. Yep. And, uh, and basically went and looked after myself. And, and, um, and yeah, it, w- it was really something that was, that was really important to do. And, and um, found that um, uh, over time I was able to recover. Um, which is fantastic, and get my health back, and and um, and now that's sort of uh, a, a friend, an ex service, like an ex friend, or well, friend of mine who was best friend of mine, who's um, was I joined the military with. He um, he came for a visit and had a had a Mavic Pro drone, and yeah. um, we took it for a bit of a fly, and and um, it was amazing. I could see what what he was doing, and and by that stage, I'd I'd sort of I'd felt I was fully recovered um, and I really wanted to take on a new challenge and I could just see that that um, with drones uh, there was a real need as this industry was getting larger and larger for competent experienced aviation personnel with discipline um, because as you can imagine when this the, the industry of drones is starting out um, it's got to be set up right from the start and, and have people that are disciplined and compliant um, with all of the regulations if they're going to be operating these things. And I thought that I'd be a good candidate for that. Um, So I went out and I got my commercial licence. And and as time went on, I I could see um, there was huge opportunities where um, helicopters were being used. Um, For example, my friend that had the Mavic Pro, his father taught live power line inspections. Yep. Um, and I, out of helicopters, and yep. my suggestion was, how about we do this with drones instead? And and um, and that was, I think, I wasn't the only one who was thinking that. I think there was, as time went on, I could see that there was a lot of other people actually thinking that it could be possible too. And as technology has improved with thermal imagery cameras and and um, also battery life and drones in, in general, um, it was really quite a no-brainer that as time went on, that you could easily replace helicopters with drones. Um, and reduce not only the massive costs, but reduce the risk to operators and to personnel. So um, that was where I thought essentially that, you know, having responsible people that that uh, are committed to safety operating these drones will, will really reduce costs and risks to people. And I could see an opportunity for a business there that there wasn't anyone doing that. Yep. Um, and... and um, as I went on, I could see that there was a real opportunity, um, but I felt that, you know, to, to get such a large quantity of people, maybe I could franchise this business. Mm-hmm. Um, and luckily for me, one of my best friends is a franchisor in gyms for fencing. And I'd yep. often spoken to him about gyms and he'd often told me, you know, a lot about the system itself and how it works and and um, and how committed Jim's art of customer service and standards. And that sort of, that led me to sort of ask the question from him, do you think Jim's would be interested in a, a drones franchise? Mm-hmm. And um, and luckily for me, he he had already, well, he said, uh, unfortunately, Matt, I think they've actually already registered it. It's been done. Um, and he said, but I've, I've, met, the, I've met the guy who, who's running it. So 
um, I'll get his number and you can give him a call. And um, that's when I was put in touch with Mark Hill, who's the divisional for videography, photography and drones. Yep. And, um, and Mark and I, if, if anyone's met Mark, you know, he, he's such a fantastic guy. When you first get to meet him, um, he's just, an, he's just a, a, a country bloke who, who is, is just a genuine, really just a genuine nice fella. And, and him and I just clicked really well. And um, he, he has a photography background with no experience in drones. And, um, and that's where I sort of was able to explain to him my vision of what I could see happening with drones and with gyms. Yep. Um, and he he could see that he could see my I guess my enthusiasm and also my commitment and discipline um, to the cause and and uh, we ended up coming up with a a deal that I would be the subdivisional for drones uh, in his division. Okay, um, which was fantastic, which uh, culminated in my I became the franchisor officially November two thousand eighteen. November two thousand eighteen, fantastic. So if I can take you back a little bit, so obviously you've come out of um, the Air Force, you've, you've, you've taken yep. the discharge and yep. you're getting yourself right. What sort of yep. you know, emotions or thoughts were you going through? I mean, what did you want to accomplish at that point of time? Were, were you actually, did you just know it was drones full stop or you just, what were you actually looking for something in particular, well, to, you know, whether was, it was externally was, or internally? I think I, 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 my thought process at the time, I was, I was quite, I was always busy doing odd things. Mm-hmm. Um, as in, I was, I was, I've always loved property. Um, yep. So I'd, I'd sort of, I'd actually bought a block and knocked a house down and subdivided and I sort of got into a bit of a property, um, trying to accumulate a bit of, got an investment property and did a bit of renovations and stuff like that. And, and that was keeping me occupied and I really enjoyed it. But mm-hmm. I just felt that, the technical challenge of drones, when it came, when it, when the whole sort of situation came to me, um, the technical challenge of drones and the challenge moving forward, I, I felt compelled to to get involved. I mm. could see, I could see the the future, and I could see that drones are going to be such a big industry. I felt that if I could get in at the ground floor, and yeah really master some of this stuff early on it, it would it would hold me in good stead to be able to talk to people in the future who have that same commitment to safety and compliance that I do yep because ultimately if 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 I'm not operating safely and if the next drone operator is not operating safely as an industry it's going to struggle you mm-hmm. know we need we need people that are operating these drones that first and foremost, they think of safety. Um, secondly, they think of compliance because as compliance um, improves, also your safety is going to pr- improve. But third of all, money. It has to be, you know, it has to generate money or there's no industry. Yeah. So, you know, I guess those three things are three things that, that probably are the, the backbone of, of, of where I'm coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, if we can do those three things, then... The industry will be in good hands. Okay, cool. And so, why, when you were looking around for you know the the, the drones opportunity, and before you came to you, did you did you see other problems come out? Were there barriers in the way preventing you getting involved in drones, or did, you know, were, was was cost the concern? What, I mean, what sort of things were throwing up, which you know probably caught you by surprise that you might not have been expecting? Well, yeah, I guess 
some of the things that were concerning were was the fact that someone could go and buy a drone from JB Hi-Fi, walk out into the car park and fly it up and fly it away and fly it in any airspace without having any real ramifications or any real idea of what airspace they're in. And yeah. that was initially, that was a concern because I thought, well, getting involved in, the, in, in this industry where anyone can just go and buy a drone and just tell, tell everyone that they're a drone operator um, and go and operate drones, that was a concern for me, you know, initially. But as time has gone on and as, you know, I've researched, CASA have been much more aware of that themselves and that's what you see now. They're implementing as of 1st of July. Um, there's going to be registration for drones. Compliance is going to be much more stringent on people operating drones. The technology is out there now where they can actually identify drones in space, in the, in the airspace, and they'll be able to see the serial number. The serial number will be able to track down the registration of the drone. So they're really tightening up now on, on, drone, on rogue drone operators. Yep. Um, so, so those those initial concerns are certainly start have certainly now been squashed, um, and I guess one of the other things that a lot of people don't sort of understand with drones and and um, is is actually the cost of running these drones is actually not as it's not as cost of effective at sometimes as what you may think. Mm -hmm. um, people think, oh yeah, just chuck a drone up, takes ten minutes, take a photo, and then it's all done. They don't realise that you know, the drone itself is, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars. Um, the training to get to the point where you can actually take those images is mm -hmm. thousands and thousands of dollars. So, you know, I guess that's one thing that's a, a hurdle that will have to be overcome is is people's mindsets and ideas. That, But I guess it's the same with photography and other things like that where, you know, people charge what they charge. But... Um, Everyone doesn't. They only want to pay what they want to pay, don't they? they yeah. yeah. So, so I guess with the the, the training and you, you're talking about a lot more, I guess compliance coming around the drones world. Um, yeah. Is was it a bit of a minefield finding the right people who can supply that training? And I don't know. Are there some like often there's cowboys when industries first start up? Was there um, oh. any situations like that? Well, as oh, as you probably. Already no, understand. No, 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 no. As as um as you know, we've known each other um for only a short period of time. I'm sure you realise, but I research things pretty uh, fastidiously, mm -hmm. and um, I did my research and made sure that the person that was teaching me was the best in the, in the industry. Yeah. Um, and I was happy to. And although it wasn't the most cost effective solution in providing a a service uh, a license for me. Um, they were certainly, as you know, you get what you pay for in business and mm -hmm. and um, they, they certainly didn't fall short of the mark when I did my training through them, which is why I've, I've aligned myself, um, continually aligned myself with the company um, that we use to train our pilots. Um, and and they're, they're a real part of my training moving forward um, because they do set the standard in the industry. So um, it was really important to make sure that the, the training was... For me, it was make make sure that I, I had the best training available. Cool, thanks for that. And obviously, as someone who researches um, stuff pretty in depth, uh, you mentioned you know you spoke to your mate who's um, part of the gyms group in fencing, and you met Mark. Yeah. But yeah. I would have no doubt that you actually investigated the whole, researched the gyms group as a whole, and Jim Penman, and obviously yeah, attended the training. And was there one definitely. moment going through that whole process, or was there one thing that just really made it crystal clear for you that this was the way to go? 
when I went and did my gym's training and uh, and Jim Penman sat up in the in the first hour of the the training, Jim stands there and talks to. Um, that was right then when his commitment to customers and his commitment to customer service um, above all else, his 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 it's his will to live. Okay. Customer service, his customer service to, to his clients. That's what he he actually he lives for that, and um and that flowed through in 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 every aspect of of the gym's training is that it's all about looking at and and it's all about looking after the customers, and if the customers aren't happy, we make sure we find a way to make sure the customers happy, mm-hmm. and I think that if you're focused on making sure that your customers are happy with the products that you produce. Um, and you go that extra step and that extra mile for them, then there's there's no reason why you can't make a really comfortable living um, and have an economy of effort where gyms is gyms is about having a lifestyle. It's although we work hard, we choose when we work hard. Yep. And if we want to take a week off and go and spend time down the beach fishing, or if I want to pick my kids up from school, or if I want to you know, attend a if I want to attend a conference in in the states and spend three days away from work, then that's all up to me. Is this is my business? Yeah. Um, and if using the gym system and and sticking to the basic philosophies um, that Jim has, then you basically create an economy of effort where you you the work that you would do previously in a job working forty hours a week. Mm-hmm. You may be able to make an income that far exceeds that for you know only a few days, a couple of days a week. So, yeah, um, that was you know initially it was Jim's first initial contact and and um, and his commitment to not only customer service but to his franchisees and to the people that work for him. They are considered part of his family, and and, and I think you get that feeling too that when you're at Jim's, you are part of a family, and and that was probably what was similar to coming out of the military and and getting into the gyms group is it's it's very sort of similar with that camaraderie that you, you get in the military. Okay. Like you, you're part of a team, as you're saying. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Now, I've, I've heard stories that Jim, if you join um, gyms, that you get Jim Penman's direct phone number and you can call him any time. Is that actually true? Yeah, that is actually true. That's actually true. But like he says, if you give it out, he will be... He will find you. It's, uh, it's almost like Liam Nelson in Taken, you know. You know, if you yep. give out this number, I will find you and I will do stuff. Yeah. So, but um, he's he's very open about that. He gives you his phone number, and if you have any issues um, at all, he's right. You you call him and he will answer. He will answer your call. It doesn't matter who you are. I mean, he's got four thousand, nearly four thousand franchisees. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and yeah, he is he is very very accommodating. Same thing. If you email him, he will email you back straight away. He yep. is he basically lives and breathes gyms. Yeah, I have heard that's just just amazing that someone in his position um, is able yeah. to make that commitment. Yeah. Yep. yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, uh, he uh, he is he's totally committed and he stands by his product. And that, and I guess that's why people that work for gyms too, um, I guess. Are so, I wouldn't say protective, but you know that I would say that they, they, everyone that's in the Jim's group really looks up to Jim because he doesn't think he is anything special. He doesn't think he's more special than you. He'll come and sit, have lunch with you, talk to you, 
as and it, it means nothing to him. The fact that he's worth five hundred million dollars or whatever it is, yep. uh, it means nothing to him. Mm-hmm. It's he's all about the Jim's group and customer service and looking after his franchisees. And I think that's why people sort of really enjoy being part of his group. Absolutely amazing. Um, so obviously you've gone through this now. You've 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 joined um, the the Jim's group. Um, to an extent, I guess that's really just the start. Can you um, give us um, an idea of some of the planning you've had to put in place? Yeah, well, I guess starting a division from scratch is is something that is quite difficult. Um, and the work that's involved in getting something off the ground from scratch when you've never done anything like this before, it has certainly has its challenges. But I guess that probably comes back to my mindset and my military training, which is um, you never give up. You never, ever give up. You never quit. Um, and, and if you do have a problem, then find a way that you can learn something from it. Or if you make a mistake, find out, make a, find out a way that you can create a learning outcome out of it and, uh, and keep moving forward, always keep moving forward. So planning-wise, um, it's it's been quite a involved process in in from initially from the start but as we found as we've moved through this process um our whole vision has evolved around more so what services we can provide to people um you know when people initially think of photography and drones they think of you know uh, a wedding drone video or or real estate, and, and, and that's certainly stuff that we can do. But as time's gone on, we've really started to move towards a commercial drone applications, yep. focusing on agriculture and building inspections and, and much more commercially uh, designed training packages and work. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's been quite an evolution as we've sort of moved through this whole planning process. So you, although we have an idea of where we want to be, we've certainly have to be flexible like water and move through um, as we're moving forward in, in what we plan. Because as you know, all the best laid plans can all turn to mud very, very quickly. <laughs> they can indeed. They can indeed. So obviously when you're planning this and, you know, your, your original thoughts and how it's grown, did you come across um, any parts where you've, you've had conflictive ideas like, um, well, if I go this way, I can't go this way or, you know, this idea is in conflict with this idea. Was there, you know, sometimes you can be paralysed, um, you know, when you yeah. just can't get something clear or, or, or well, know which guess, direction to take. Yeah, well... I guess the thing that limits you to what you want to do probably comes down to dollars, comes down to cost, because you know when you're talking when you're talking drones and people think about drones, they tend to think of these little sort of things that people you see kids flying around. Yeah. But for example, the drone that was on Thor Ragnarok that was filming on Thor Ragnarok. That was carrying an 80 kilo camera, so oh, the drone wow. that has to do that is is not a is not a couple of dollars. So you know, like um, basically, what you want to do, um, the technology is available. It just depends on how much you want to spend. I mean, you can buy a 
you can buy a camera that's $250,000 for the camera, you know. But you need to be able to get the work that's going to be able to pay for that camera. Yeah. Um, so I think as, as we've sort of evolved, the, the thing that can sometimes change ideas about which way you want to move certainly has to be affordability because a lot of people don't think when they get into the, get into the drone industry um, they think, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll get a Phantom 4 and I'll get out there and I'll start doing jobs and it'll be fantastic. That's, yeah, that's all well and good. But when you're wanting to do commercial work, mm-hmm. you have to have the technical ability to be able to produce results. And what a lot of people don't think of is the actual cost of running that drone when you work out how long are the battery cycles, how long are the motors going to last. These are the sorts of things that people don't realise. So when you come into a costing of working out those things, you can work out exactly how much you need to earn per hour from this drone to be operating. And mm-hmm. and people can sometimes not think about that when, they, when they're quoting jobs because they're new to the industry and they don't understand how much it's actually costing them to run these drones. Um, and they can certainly put themselves in a, into the hurt locker straight away and, 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 you know, you can see people falling off the perch pretty quickly when they don't understand their costings and that sort of thing. So that's probably one of the difficult challenges at times is just what can limit you is how much money that you have available to spend on your equipment and not leave yourself short that you don't have enough cash flow to keep operating until you get those jobs coming in, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, that certainly does. Thanks for that. So we know, I mean, you've gone through this and, and the end result is now you're the chief pilot, um, Jim's franchiser or subdivisional, um, whatever monkey they want to give you at this time. Yeah. You're the big poo bar. So yeah, yeah, grand poo bar. That's grand the way bar. <laughs> So when you've gone through this whole process, um, you, yourself, have you seen any transformation within yourself since um, going through this um, process? Oh, certainly, yeah, certainly have. And I think that probably comes with responsibility. As as you gain more responsibility and as you gain more experience, uh, I think it's it's certainly improved. I've, well, I was, I've always been a fairly confident person, but um, I've, I've had to certainly feel comfortable being uncomfortable at times. Yep. Um, where... You know, I've had to make hard calls, hard decisions um, that may not have um, been, um, might might not have, may have hurt feelings at times. Yep. Um, but I've had to have the moral courage to make those decisions for the best of our group and 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 what we're doing moving forward. So, um, you know, certainly matured. Um, as as an individual and and honestly it's very exciting I've had I've, I, I would have to say I, I haven't had this level of I mean I've done some amazing things in my life I've, I've traveled all around the world I've been to some of the most dangerous places in Libya and Jordan and Sinai and Kabul and Kandahar and all of these sorts of places and they were exciting they're exciting but there there is something exhilarating about being part of this industry right now as it is skyrocketing into the future. And I guess that's something that's, that's, that has really sort of transformed me as well in the fact that I'm really excited about what drones are going to do and what, what can they do next. I mean, 
they've they've just found that um, they're using drones to to capture um, whale uh, as whales come out of the ocean and they they um, blow air into the into the sky. They've found drones capturing um, some of the content and they're able to now detail exactly what the what the whales have been eating and 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 you know the science that they can get from from these sorts of things. Um, it's it's remarkable and, and it's, it's it gives me hope for the future because you know like there's a lot of talk now about climate change and especially the hurt our farmers have been through in the last couple of years with drought. Um, I think that with with what we can do with drones, it's exciting and we could really make a difference to to the Australian farmer um, with with the sort of data and technology that we could bring to them. Um, and, and it gives me hope that if we can start showing um, how to use our how to use our environment, how to adapt to our environment and, and be able to pull out those those that data um, and, and get the most we're gonna have to get the most out of what we've got, you know. Um, so it's certainly exciting in that part um, that we can actually do something to, to do some, some real change and actually record some of the issues that we've got as well, you know, so as in erosion and, and a few different things like that. So it certainly transformed me, uh, that's for sure. Fantastic. Well, well, I've only got two more questions for you, Scott, but I, yeah. I think it's pretty clear we're going to have to um, have you back and do another couple of episodes at <laughs> least on a couple of other things because there's so much more that we can delve into yeah, sure. just to get yeah. an understanding of your backstory, where you've come from. I mean, it's, uh, it's quite a full life you've had already. Um, yeah. But as succinctly as you can, so let's try to keep this short because we know you like yeah. a chat. <laughs> what's 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 the biggest impact that drones are possibly going to have on agriculture in the next five years? Oh, the biggest impact. And we'll do another episode, and because I know we can go into this in a lot of details, but yeah, it's just yeah. a little teaser for the people out there. Yeah, I I would certainly think the application of using multispectral cameras to identify health in crops um, and giving farmers an advance notice in any issues that they have, yep. that is probably going to be the game changer for, for a lot of farmers um, in identifying issues um, you know, and giving them notice to act um, as opposed to waiting um, for satellite imagery that, that can be quite to, uh, um, can take some time. Um, I, I think that's probably going to be the thing that's, that's going to really revolutionise things is as farmers can see that um, we can show them that day what's happening in their field um, or their vineyard, um, identify issues, and then basically we can then go and se send out our crop spraying drone and, uh, and, and deal with some of those issues right then on the spot. Um, I think that's probably in the next five years going to really take, take uh, the farming industry by storm and, and hopefully... Um, and I truly believe that um, bringing this technology into our vineyards in the Barossa here, uh, we can certainly improve the quality of grapes and that in turn will improve our quality of wine, which I certainly know is fantastic. But uh, And I'm sure, Paul, you know, don't mind the local Barossas. Barossa, uh, fantastic. Fantastic. So uh, ultimately improve the quality of wine in Australia is, is what we want to do. Brilliant. 
And the last question for today. So obviously there are some people out there who, who are in a similar position you were and they're going, they can see this opportunity of drones and um, thinking about getting into it themselves. If, if they were to join Jim's drones and, and you know, be, be mentored by yourself, what, just in, again, succinctly, what, what could they, what should they expect when um, looking to join gyms and after they join gyms drones in particular? I guess first and foremost, what they can expect is being part of a family. Mm-hmm. And regardless of, you know, I can, and, and, and what, one of the most important things when joining the gyms group and joining what we do is we need to have the right people and and I am committed to making sure that the people that are involved in the group are people that I really want to work with and that are committed to safety and compliance as as I am. Um, I ultimately I can teach anyone how to fly a drone, yeah. but I can't teach someone to be a good person. Mm-hmm. And that's the most important thing to me is that you're a good person, yeah. first and foremost, and you're a good operator. And and you know that that's probably you know, I'm 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 not looking at selling franchises, Paul. I'm looking yeah. at granting franchises to people that I want to work with and that want to be part of my family. Yep. Um, because that's the way I I see it, and that and I mean that's the way Jim sees it too. You know, yeah. you're part of a family, so I can teach all the technical stuff. That's not a problem, but I can't teach people to be a good person. So that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for good people. Absolutely. Absolutely brilliant. And um, for anyone who, who just wants to have a chat to you, what's that um, Jim's number to give a call? Yeah, anyone that wants to chat, feel free, call 131546 uh, and ask for Jim's drones. Ask for Scott Copeland and I'll be happy to have a chat with you, as you probably already know. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I even found out, a um, little bit off topic here, but I actually believe um, you even got an inquiry from a year 12 student and you actually helped them with their um, survey, uh, or not survey, um, year yeah. 12 assignment that they were doing. So Yeah, I did. Really yeah, I did. To help anyone out. Even if yeah, anyone. Yeah, honestly, if you, if you want to talk about drones, I'm always up for a chat. Um, look, it doesn't it doesn't have to be anything revolving around work, but if uh, if you just want to have a chat and just want to know a bit more information, then feel free to give me a call anytime. No worries, fantastic, Scott. I just think it's a great that we've been able to speak to the um, pretty much the bloke who's going to be the number one authority in drones in Australia. I know it's a big call early, but you know you're heading in the right direction. Uh, it's unquestionable the passion that you got for drones. So. Fantastic. Um, we're going to have to have you back. We're going to have to get more information about um, how drones are going to affect agriculture. We're just, look, that's, and probably another episode on how it's going to affect the building industry. So we might yeah, have to make this regular. Are you up for a few more um, conversations? Always up for a chat, mate. You know that. <laughs> All right. Absolutely brilliant. Well, again, thanks, Scott. Uh, really appreciate your time. And, um, yeah, we'll, we, we'll make a time with you after this to uh, have another couple of chats. Absolutely. Been no worries. Fantastic. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day. Bye.